0: Our scripture reading for today comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 15 to 22. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when the sons of the prophets who are Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men, Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. For when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So, the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elijah spoke, the word of the Lord.
1: The Lord be with you. you. Uh, Pray with me. Thank you, God, for this day that you have made. And we're just so um, thankful and excited to be here as we get to celebrate uh, two decades. Of life together. We ask once more uh, that your spirit would speak. Help us to hear a word from you this day to give us comfort, to challenge us, to lead us in a more straight path in faithfulness for your kingdom. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is now the third uh, in a series of sermons I'm preaching on the prophet Elisha. Uh, Last week, we saw that Elisha chose to pick up the fallen cloak of Elijah, and after recrossing the Jordan River, he was acknowledged by the other prophets as the legitimate and principal heir of the prophetic office. Their words, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and their act of bowing affirm that Elisha has indeed received the double portion of spirit that he had asked for. Then, after a shame motivated, futile search for Elijah, everyone accepts the fact that Elijah is really, really gone, and the people of Jericho turn to Elisha for help. As in the slight misquote from Coleridge's The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, it's water, water, everywhere, and not a drop to drink. The city has many good things going for it, but its bad water supply has limited their economic development and has hampered their overall quality of life. Now notice here, that the people simply state their problem to Elisha and leave it there. They do not add, so, Elisha, can you fix this? Maybe they don't think he can fix it. I mean, he's no Elijah. But actually, he is being asked to remedy their situation. I've shared uh, before that this is how my wife often communicates with me. Rather than asking, can you mow the lawn, she will state, the grass is tall. (laughs) Rather than asking, can you bring me some water, she will state, I forgot to bring up the water. (laughs) She almost always prefers the indicative to the interrogative in her speech, except when she's mad. (laughs) In Korean, pro tip for young folks that I wish I had, In Korean, this is how mature adults speak and interact. It's a form of courtesy that I did not understand for a long time and which I still sometimes, often, fail to grasp. I can remember years and years ago when I was working at a Korean church and we'd have these staff meetings and the senior pastor would say to us something like, you know, I noticed this morning that the bathroom wasn't very clean. I I found a bunch of like littered towels uh, on the floor. I understand now that what he was saying was that for me, as the newest guy on the staff, to respond to him by saying, I'm sorry, pastor, I will go clean it up right after this meeting. Instead, what I said to him then was, yeah, I noticed that too. He was then forced to ask his associate pastor to take care of it because he realized I was clueless and did not want to further embarrass me. That's a good pastor. (laughs) Remember when Jesus went to the wedding in Cana, and his mother Mary said to him, they've run out of wine. Same thing. She was asking him to take care of it. The water is bad. It's just a way of asking for help indirectly. What it means here is that the people of Jericho have accepted Elisha's leadership and believe and have the faith that he can bring healing to their waters. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why the water is so bad in Jericho, but we know that after Joshua and the Israelites defeated the city of Jericho by shouting down the walls, Joshua cursed the city. He said, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city. At the cost of its firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. And then we learn later in 1 Kings 16 that the city was rebuilt during the days of the prophet Elijah. In the days of King Ahab, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. That is, he rebuilt it. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gate at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua The son of nuns. So Joshua's curse becomes true. And so we can imagine that the people in the city and those outside the city probably thought and attributed the bad water to the curse of Joshua. It's kind of like when you hear about certain cities, they have a reputation. Right? You hear the name of the city of Salem and you think what? Witches, yeah. Chicago. Windy hello, Philadelphia, (laughs) cheesesteaks, thank you Charles, right, when you hear about a snowstorm in Buffalo, you think of course it's Buffalo, no matter how much I tell you it's not so bad, you think it's Buffalo, Jericho, yeah, bad water, they've always had bad water, it's a self-fulfilling, self-reinforcing prophecy. But once told of the situation, Elisha calls for a new bowl and some salt. The water is already undrinkably bad. But now Elisha is going to make it even less potable by making it salty bad. Who's going to drink salt water? So clearly this is not some sort of scientific way of purifying the water supply. Rather, Elisha is teaching us here something about God. He tells them, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. It's not magic. It's not Elisha. It's not the bull. It's not the salt. It's not the shoes. Elisha could just as easily have tossed in some wood, which is what Moses did earlier when he also faced some bitter waters. The healing comes from God and God alone. That's the point. The new bowl may symbolize that God is doing something new. The salt may symbolize some sacrificial dedication or a sign of a covenant. But whatever it is, we learn that God is able to change a curse into a blessing. The old narrative that people have been telling themselves about their city, that it has been cursed, is being replaced with a new narrative of how God wants to bless. And it's not just cities. A careless word your parent or sibling told you when you were a child can become a kind of lifelong curse. You wrongly believe a false narrative about yourself, that you are no good, that you are not smart, that you are ugly, that you are not enough, that somehow you are less than. That kind of wound can fester and scar you for life. But as the healing of the waters here, God reminds us that he wants to turn those memories, those scars... Rather, into reminders of healing. We can see this in the transformation, I think, exemplified by the transition that we have seen going from the prophet Elijah to the prophet Elisha. I don't know about all of you so much, but when I think of Elijah, the first word that comes to my mind is fire. It's fire. And when I think of Elisha, the first word that comes to my mind is water. For those of you fans of Avatar The Last Airbender, Elijah would belong to the Fire Nation and Elisha would belong to the Water Tribe. Or if you prefer Pokemon, Elijah would be Charizard and Elisha would be Squirtle. <laughs> Elijah was all about fire and destruction. Remember how Elisha made oxtail soup kori thang, with a pair of oxen? Elijah would not have done that. Elijah would have not made soup using water. He would have called fire down from heaven and had barbecue with very well done steaks. (laughs) Elijah scared people. The first time he shows up in the Bible, he declares a famine and a drought. And then he shows up on the mountain and he prays for fire from heaven. And then afterwards he destroys hundreds of false prophets. And one of the very last things that he did before he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind and chariots of fire and horses, he ordered fire down once more to kill 102 soldiers. In the New Testament, remember how John and James, the sons of Zebedee, they were hot-headed and they wanted to call fire down on a city in judgment? Elijah is their role model. In contrast, Elisha's first public act is the healing, the healing of waters. Now, as far as culinary choices go, I might side with Elijah with the barbecue over the soup, but otherwise, I'd much rather hang out with Elisha and the healing, and the healing waters. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see now that several of Elisha's miracles are going to involve water and healing. Now to be sure, Elisha also does see chariots of fire, but he does not use fire to destroy and to bring judgment as Elijah does. And here we see another parallel with John the baptizer and Jesus. John, likened to Elijah, he preached fiery messages. In Luke, his first message was, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Even now the ax is being laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. More fire. But what does Jesus do? His first act as an adult is to get baptized in the waters of the Jordan. Same river. And Jesus' first miracle in Cana did one better than Elisha. Elisha turned bad water into good water to bring people life. Jesus took that good water and turned it into wine to add joy to that life. Jesus followed John, and while he preached the same message of repentance and the kingdom of God, his fundamental message was one of good news, of life, and of salvation. Instead of fire, he offers living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him Will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him springs of water welling up to eternal life. Water is life. Water is life. We all heard this past summer uh, from our mission team to Kenya about how rain is always a constant blessing to the people of Kenya. I know uh, the rains today have kind of spoiled a little bit of some of our activities that we were planning outdoors. And I know that some of you get anxious about rain, potential floods of your basements, and you know some people get worried that their sump pump is going to fail. But for me, rain is always a blessing. It's always a reminder of my baptism. It's a reminder of the, the washing away of sins, of forgiveness. And in fact, you know, this, this, this week, I was thinking about what passage should I preach? Should I continue with the Elisha series or do something different? And the rains today, I take that as a sign from God telling me, this is good, this is fine. (laughs) Elisha's healing ministry is a reminder, as will be the ministry of Jesus, that God is for us, that God is for healing, that God is for blessing, that God is for life, that God is for salvation. It means that as we celebrate our years together, because of this, we can avoid these two pitfalls that people often fall into In regard to the past, as we saw first, we do not have to be imprisoned by an overly sentimental memories about the past. You don't have to let the nostalgia of the supposedly good old days keep you from experiencing the new leadings of the Spirit of God today. We should look back on the past and be thankful as we are doing today. Whether you've been here for two hours, two weeks, two months, two years, or two decades or more, We can and should be truly thankful and joyful for all that God has brought us through. Let's share those stories. Let's share those good memories. But let's also avoid the kind of wistful longing to go back to the way things were when we thought maybe things were better. I miss the good old days. It was better back in the day. Remember when we were younger and we used to fill in the blank. Man, I wish we could bring Elijah back. Those were the good old days. God took him. You can't go back. It's a waste of time to look for Elijah. It's time to move forward with Elisha. These are the times that God has created for us, and so we need to live in them and into them to discover how to be faithful in this time. Secondly, we also do not need to be imprisoned by the curses of the past. The water has always been bad, and it's always going to be bad. No, that's not true. That is not true. God can remove the curse. God wants to remove the curse. In fact, maybe Joshua shouldn't have cursed the city of Jericho in the first place. And isn't this what Jesus does? He invited to despise those whose life stories seem set in stone and destined for failure and misery, and he changed them. He ate with tax collectors, those who were hated and cursed by the people, like Matthew and Zacchaeus, and changed the trajectory of their lives. A woman caught in adultery was told, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. You are not doomed to a scandalous life that others have scripted for you. God is able to help you to rewrite the ending of the story of your life. I can tell you that over the years, I've counseled a number of people who were victims of of rough childhoods, or who made terrible mistakes as adults, sinning against God and others. And sometimes they feel like that their life is over, that they are forever ruined, that there is no future or hope for them. But I remind them, yeah, it might not be easy to move forward, but the story of your life and my life, the story of life that God wants to write, is not one of suffering and sin and curses and death and doom to failure, but one of forgiveness and of redemption and of life. As we look back on the last 20 years, and as we look forward to the next 20 years, Elisha's story reminds us and teaches us that we need not be bound by the misremembered blessings of the past nor by the false curses of the past, and that God wants us to move forward toward healing and fruitfulness. And so I want to let you know that especially in this past year, uh, since our session retreat back in December of 22, the session and staff, we've been considering the new realities that we are facing now and how we might be more faithful and obedient and sensitive to God's calling. And so let me just briefly outline for you some of those ideas. And next week, Next week, after the service, we will have a time, a question and answer session to more fully explain some of these and for you to ask uh, whatever questions that you may have. One, as most of you know by now, a few weeks ago, we began a fully parallel service for our youth. I'm really thankful for Pastor Charles and Pastor Hannah uh, for pushing this and suggesting it. There was a time when maybe we didn't need to have that service, but circumstances have changed, and we need to adapt and find better ways to support and nourish our youth. And so I, for one, have been greatly encouraged uh, to see more of our students here on Sundays as they participate uh, in that ministry. Secondly, we rebooted our website. Uh, For this, I want to especially thank uh, Elder Sarah, who led the project. We understand that our website is not for us, but it is our first act of hospitality to those who might be looking for a church. And so we refreshed the website to make it more welcoming and useful for visitors. Third, we reviewed our mission, vision, and values, and we felt that our mission statement still holds true and relevant, but we made some modifications to our vision statements and to our list of values. We think the changes better reflect our aspirations and who we truly are. Four, we are going to nominate, elect, and ordain deacons to form a board of deacons in 2024 next January. We've never had deacons before in our church because we didn't feel we really needed them. As you know, in many churches, uh, deacons serve kind of as the, uh, the hands and feet of the church doing most of the work. Or in some churches, they act as a kind of a, a second-tier leadership from whom um, elders are chosen. And we didn't want to do that because everyone should serve. We are all the hands and feet of the church. And also, in the Reformed tradition, deacons were chosen for a very specific work. They were the ones that were chosen to do the pastoral care of the church. Deacons were chosen to visit the sick in the hospitals, to wash the bodies and bury those who had died of the plague, for example, to care for orphans and for widows, to oversee what we might call today the ministries of compassion and mercy. And so we want to affirm And allow those with those gifts, the gifts of compassion and mercy, to exercise those gifts in our church, especially as we are getting older and the need for such ministry grows. Five, we will be looking to hire a young pastor to work with our young adults next year. We understand that our demographics is largely young families, as you can see, but we also recognize that without younger adults, we do not have much of a future. So we wanna give more attention to our singles and to our very young couples and to build up that next generation. Number six, we continue to make plans for my retirement and transition to new leadership. God willing, I hope to continue to serve uh, as the pastor of this church for another five to seven years, but we wanna prepare well ahead so that the baton can be passed smoothly. Lastly, in the video you will see in a few moments, you'll be reminded, and perhaps you will be surprised as I was, by how many pastoral interns have passed through our church. And I want you to know that all of you played such an important role in the, in the shaping and in the affirming of their callings. And I want to tell you that among all the pastoral interns that have passed through here, your greatest influence was on me. Those of you who have been here for a while know that when I first came here, um, I was only planning to stay here for a few months or a year at most until you could find a real pastor. And you know that I had no idea back then how to be a pastor. But you taught me, you guided me, you trusted me and made it easy for me to be your pastor, and we learned together over these years how to be a church. And so let me, I want to thank you, Graceway Church, for the grace you've shown me, not only to me, but to my family, and that I can be a part of your lives and to be a part of this celebration today. And as the rain and the waters remind us once more, I hope we can continue to build on the good works of the past change those narratives that have held us back and move more confidently and joyfully toward the healing and the fruitfulness that God has called us to. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders of healing. We ask God, help us to become instruments of your healing and blessing. We thank you for the past, and we look forward to the future you have in store for us. Help us to trust you and help us to move with the confidence that you love us and that your desire for us is life. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.